Well, I wonder if you can uh, identify with Arnold's saying. Um, do you ever get those kind of fatalistic, nothing can ever change type of moments? Poor old Arnold same sat on the same train, on the same seat, with the same nasty stain, next to same old what's-his-name, getting the feeling once again that nothing will change tomorrow. So the words go. Um, I'm a, a, a pretty optimistic person, naturally, so people tell me. But um, that kind of thinking and feeling all too easily creeps into my life sometimes. Not a kind of out-and-out out despair, but just sometimes a lack of hope that things can change. Like, I'll never be able to beat that particular sin that I just keep tripping up over against. That, that those circumstances just will never change. Perhaps, though, the biggest area where I, where I feel this is when it comes to evangelism. When I think of my family, my friends, my co-workers, all too often I find myself thinking, they'll never change. They'll never soften. They'll never change um, their minds on these kinds of things. Now, I play football with a, with a bunch of guys uh, most weeks. And one of them owns his own very successful software company. He drives a top-spec BMW. Um, he's recently got married. He's got a newborn baby. Um, he's got a lovely big house in Jericho that he owns. And I think to myself, well, what does he need God for? And I think it's him becoming a Christian, it's, it's just never going to happen. And I may not say that out loud, but sometimes in my heart of hearts, that's, that's what I'm thinking when it comes to evangelism. And I suspect this evening that I'm not the only one here guilty of thinking those kind of things. And if that's the case, then tonight is for you and for me. Because um, the big thing I want us to see this evening is that Saul's conversion was for you and for me. So that's the, the big thing this evening. There's, there's loads we could say from this passage. I, I find myself saying that every time I'm up here talking about something. But our focus this evening is just simply that sentence up there, that Saul's conversion was for you and was for me. Now, admittedly, that may seem a little odd at this stage, um, and you may be thinking, what on earth is he going on about? Well, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15 and 16. This is Paul writing, talking about this experience that we've just read about a few minutes ago. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, 
Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So do you you see what Paul's saying as he describes his own conversion? He says that, that even me, the chief of sinners, the vilest offenders, that, that, that his conversion would demonstrate for us the, the unlimited, some versions translate that word perf, um, that unlimited in, uh, in verse 16, as perfect. So that Paul's conversion demonstrates the unlimited, perfect, long-suffering patience and grace of the Lord Jesus. So that's how Paul describes his own conversion experience. And and that's the lens, if you like, that we'll use as we look um, at the story in in Acts chapter 9. Um, And as we go through the story, that's the kind of question that we need to be asking as we look down the the details that that Dr. Luke um, includes for us. We've got to be asking, what does Luke show us of the unlimited, perfect patience of Jesus in this chapter? And my prayer for us this evening is is that as we look into this and as we think on this, that it will renew our hope and our confidence uh, in Jesus and that will renew our hope and our confidence uh, both for for our own salvation and for, for the salvation of those that, that we love and that we would long to come to know him um, personally themselves. So it's been maybe three or four minutes since we read the story. So what I'd like us to do, just around our tables in twos and threes, I'd like you to shut your Bible and retell the story to each other. Um, so maybe one of you can keep it open just to check you're not <laughs> going too far off track. So just retell this story to each other to, to familiarise yourself with what happens. And I realise I've left some...
Okay. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to test you on it. Um, I've just thought it's a good way of getting you to re-familiarise yourself with, with, uh, with what Luke says there. But what I am going to ask you to do is, uh, is I want you to, to, as you've retold the story, um, just as one big group, maybe just shout out, what does Luke emphasise in the story? In this story, what are the things that would you say are the, the key things that Luke particularly emphasises in this story? Yeah, a lot of Jesus speaking to people. Yeah. murderous threats kind of trying to portray him as almost some kind of animal yeah that's right yeah yeah that's when we're first introduced to him giving approval to Stephen being stoned yeah yeah hmm Yeah. 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 We do. Jesus is in charge, isn't he? Yeah. 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 That's right. And actually the Pretty much all the sermons that we've had in Acts so far have all been saying Jesus is alive and Jesus reigns, that he is Lord. And here we see it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty profoundly humbled um, yeah. yeah Spurgeon speaks of um, Charles Spurgeon speaks of um, imagining Saul on a very high horse uh, riding into Damascus and how far he fell from that great horse the rest of it. Um, is there anything else that struck you, or as you've? I just think it's amazing. I mean, there isn't as well the way God works, how He's arranged for um, Ananias. Ananias, yeah, um, yeah.
Yeah, I, you can, I guess you can sympathise with Ananias. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've we've said already this evening that that Saul's conversion is a pretty unusual conversion story. Um and as we've looked at those, those verses in 1 Timothy as well, the lens that we're looking at this is, is what, a, what does this story show us of Jesus' unlimited patience? And what does it tell us of just his sovereign grace, if you like? How do we see that at work here? Um, so pretty much all the different things that we've um, said are, are great things and are things that I guess I'll... Pick up, we'll pick up on as, as we go through. But there's just um, a couple of things, um, three, possibly four things that um, we'll, we'll look at and think through a, a little bit as we, as we go through this story. Um, the first thing that, uh, that, that really strikes us from this story is that it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic transformation that we see here. Uh, we've, we've noted already how Paul is dis- well, Saul sorry, is described at the start of this passage. He's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, but, but look at the, the transformation in this guy. Uh, just absolutely incredible. Um, it's, it's as if, uh, I was trying to think of, of a, an analogy of this, I guess it would be um, like trying to imagine someone like Osama bin Laden getting converted uh, and then becoming a missionary, a Christian missionary um, to the Arab world. Um, what an, an, a mind-blowing transformation um, that would be. So it's, it's yeah, as we've said, it's, it's a pretty dramatic story. Uh, the lights and the voices and the, the uh, Paul's people with Paul being a bit kind of bewildered and unsure and Paul himself just, well, not for six really. But what does this tell us of, of Jesus' perfect patience? Well, I, I guess the big thing, the, the huge encouragement for, for me personally um, in, in seeing this dramatic, this really dramatic transformation in the life um, of, of Saul shows us that, that there is no one beyond saving. There is nothing that, that we can do that cannot be forgiven and covered by the cross of Christ. But I don't know if you ever think that yourself, think that there's actually Jesus couldn't possibly love me Jesus couldn't forgive me because of what I've done, how I've treated him, how I've treated my family, how I've treated other people. What I've done is just so awful 
There's no way he could possibly forgive, forgive me. Well, what does, what does Paul say to that? As we've seen already in 1 Timothy. Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. And his uh, conversion, his transformation just shows that there is no one that Jesus cannot save. And that should fill us with hope, both for our own um, transformation and for the transformation of, of those that, that, we, um, that we love, who we'd love to see come to know Jesus. Uh, rooted this weekend, I've been thinking about um, the prodigal son, on the, uh, Jesus' parable. Um, of, of those two lost sons um, this weekend. And, and that story Jesus told just gives us an amazingly precious glimpse into, into God's father heart. Uh, the star of the story is, is the father. Um, and I guess it, we, we know the story. The younger son effectively says to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. All, all I care about is your money. Give it to me now so I can go off to a distant land and just live as if you didn't even exist and ignore you. And that would have profoundly hurt that father. And again, we know how the story goes. He comes to his senses when he's in desperate, desperate need. And he thinks to himself, I can, I can maybe try and make restitution with my dad and maybe I can become a servant or something like that, which will be much better than where I am now. And so he heads off home. And again, we know how the story goes. The father should have slammed the door in his face. But instead, he runs to meet him. He throws his arms around him. He puts sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. He doesn't let him finish his, his speech that he'd prepared. He doesn't let him um, describe the his plans to make restitution or, or anything like that. He, he puts the, the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, to show actually this guy's not a, a servant. And he gives him the best robe. Which, well, whose would, whose would that have been? It would have been his. So here's this smelly, ungrateful pig farmer of a son who'd wasted all his money who'd hurt him so deeply, returning to him. And this father runs to meet him and clothes him in his own best robe to welcome him back as his son. Um, incredible picture of, of God's grace and God's mercy. And again, we've got another such example of that as well in, in Saul's dramatic transformation so that's the the first thing um, that, that um, stood out to me really, and encouraged me to be praying for my friends that Jesus in, is in the business of transforming dramatically um, but it's a very sudden conversion um, nowhere in the rest of the New Testament when Paul talks about his conversion experience does he talk about a, a period 
or a process of soul-searching and questioning and wondering and all the rest of it. I mean, some people like to say that uh, when he was there looking at Stephen's um, being stoned, that actually from that moment on he was kind of plagued with his conscience and it all came to a head on the road here. But actually Paul says nothing about that. For Paul, it was a sudden uh, conversion experience for him. And that's, it's probably fair to say, not the normal experience for Christians. I was chatting to a Baptist minister last night, um, a very strange night by all accounts, but I'll tell you about that later. But anyway, chatting to this, to this uh, Baptist minister, he, he, seemed, he seemed to think that uh, 15% of Christians apparently uh, can put a specific time and date and uh, hour even to their conversion. And uh, the other 85%, just it's, it's a gradual process. Uh, it just kind of maybe like different links in a chain. Uh, they can't put a specific time and date and exactly when it, when it happened. And perhaps like Timothy in the Bible, um, when Paul talks of, of his experience of coming to faith, it, it's a gradual process. Paul talks of how he learned the scriptures from infancy, from his granny and his mum. But, but yeah, so for Paul, it was a really sudden conversion. And that's not the way God always does it. But I think it is important for us to recognise that God can change things in an instant. So often we can just try and sanitise God and put him into a little box and... uh, and more often than not, we try to kind of put him in a box and that, that's the way that we want God to behave in, in a way that's in line with our thinking and our timing and, and our... Uh, we want him to dance to the beat of our drum and, uh, and that kind of thing. But, but as we've seen already throughout the book of Acts, you, you, you simply can't do that with God. He's more often than not acting in ways that we just don't even imagine or expect. So just take Philip last week, um, as, as Lanx was taking us through it. Uh, he was experiencing amazing fruit, people being converted, signs and wonders. And uh, then suddenly the Spirit sends him to the middle of nowhere to speak to, to one man. Would that have been at the top of um, Philip's strategic plan for the evangelization of Samaria? Probably not. But yet, the Spirit told him to go, and off he went. So this is really important for us to to remember this, that that Jesus is alive and he's reigning, and he can change people and situations instantly. He's in control. We've seen that, and we've said that this evening, again and again and again. He's in complete control of this situation. And he answers prayer. And he invites us to come to him in prayer. So let's be encouraged by the fact that Jesus can change people and situations instantly. And let's be praying those bold prayers for our friends, for our situations. But uh, finally, I guess the, the things that I guess the two words that best sum up this story 
uh, uh, these, uh, that actually this story is a powerful demonstration of sovereign grace. So it's sovereign because from, from start to finish, Jesus is, is pulling the strings. There's no accidents, no coincidences. We've got dreams, we've got uh, visions, we've got other people involved as well. And throughout it all, Jesus is completely in charge. Um, And that's hugely encouraging for us to think about. Um, But we'll come on to that. So we see God's sovereignty and we see his grace as well. Because what does Paul do? Nothing. He's supremely humbled, profoundly humbled, as he comes off that that high horse he was no doubt riding on. Whereas he he once thought he was doing God a favour and that God was lucky to have him on the team, that he was... We get the picture of him being arrogant and self-righteous, Look at what he says in, uh, in Philippians chapter 3. Again, well-known words. Uh, Philippians 3, 4 to 9. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So amazing words. Again, speaking of that that complete transformation from his old way of life, um, his old values to his new godly perspective. So this is hugely important for me personally um, and is massively encouraging. Jesus is in control, he's in charge and he is outrageously gracious. So that means my salvation, it's not down to me. The salvation of of my mates, that's also not down to me. Now now don't misunderstand me now. What I I guess I'm saying is that my friend's salvation is not my ultimate responsibility. I can't make them Christians. I can't... um, argue so persuasively that they uh, become renewed and become a Christian and 
It's, it's just not within my power. It's only a sovereign work of grace in someone's heart that can bring about that, that transformation. So whilst I'm not ultimately responsible for making some of my friends Christians, I am responsible for witnessing to them about Jesus. And how are they going to hear if I don't tell them? So again, this, you know, we come back to this, the sovereign grace of God at work in this story. There's lots more we could say about Ananias and, and later about um, Barnabas even and the part that they play in, in Paul's life. Um, but uh, just, yeah, in God's grace, in his sovereign grace, he chooses to use us to partner with him in what he's doing in the lives of others. So I guess the question is, uh, are we going to be like some of these characters that we've been reading about in the book of Acts? Are we going to be like Philip um, or Ananias here? Well, to, um, to finish up with, I thought it would be good for us to have some chance to pray on our tables um, and it would be good to, to pray in the line of, of these things to pray that, that God would give us hope and confidence in the power of the gospel to, to transform us and our friends and our family as well but as we're thinking about uh, salvation and thinking about God's grace it's also appropriate that we just worship him for Jesus, worship him for the cross, uh, for all that he's, he's done for us as well. Um, and to help us do that, I've uh, printed out some words from some pretty famous old hymns that I guess maybe we don't sing that much um, these days. Uh, so I'll just put um, on, uh, a couple of them on, on the table. So maybe just take some time to have a read-through the words of these great, great hymns, incredible truths contained, and, and use them, make them your own prayers of, of worship um, to Jesus.